Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I am Matt DeMarinas from whiteandbluereview.com. I am joined, as always, by the co-host of the pod, Megan Epperson. And I guess we left you last week wondering how many podcasts we have left. So at least two is the answer. Uh, Tonight will be one. And uh, that's because the Jays were successful at home this weekend. They swept Colgate, swept Minnesota, moved on to the Sweet 16 for the third time in program history, second or first time since 2016. Uh, Meg was a part of the first two, once as a redshirt freshman, or once as a true freshman that was redshirting, and once as a redshirt freshman player. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to talk about tonight. Talk about the Jays' past weekend. And then we'll look ahead as best we can, get you kind of a little uh, teaser on Louisville, that potential matchup, Creighton's potential path to uh, Tampa, where the Final Four is being played this year. And, yeah, let's talk some volleyball, Meg. How's it feel to have at least two podcasts left with me this season? It feels good. It's a good position to be in, and it's been quite a while looking back. It's hard to think 2016 was quite a while ago, so it's it's exciting. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it was really interesting the reaction to, before we dive into these matches, obviously, but it was really interesting the reaction to, I don't know, just how open and, you know, transparent everybody in the program was about I mean, just past shortcomings in the tournament, hosting, all that. Like, it's something we've talked about a lot. It's something we get asked about a lot when the conversation of their resume comes up, um, their chances at hosting, whether they should or not. Like, it, you know, it's very uh, – feels like we're talking about dark magic and things beyond human control, right? Because, like, why would you not want to host? Why would you not want to play in your own gym? But the history had not been in – Creighton's favor like uh you know you as a player were part of two teams that hosted and lost in the second round um and then obviously you know the injuries uh to Jayla Zimmerman in 2022 or 2021 excuse me and then to Kendra Waite in 2022 derailed uh their chances of advancing out of their own regional in those two years as well so some of it was just you know not being the better team that day and then some of it was just things beyond your control, right? But putting it all together, it I think for Kirsten Bernthal Booth in particular, it felt like a situation where there was probably an unhealthy amount of pressure on her this weekend just because, you know, as much angst as there was with the fan base, there was probably more with her because the first the only two times they've made it out of the second out of the first weekend was in someone else's gym. And I think that she really, really wanted to do it at Sokol in front of a packed house in front of all those fans that, you know, show up all year. Um, so it was interesting to hear her emotions after the match, but I'm curious to hear like yours as well, you know, because I don't know how long ago 2016 feels to you, but the further you get away from it, I guess the the harder it is to kind of, you know, remember what it was like and think that you're still kind of, you, you might be kind of wonder, are you still that program or you, or was that just, you know, a special team that broke through. Um, what were your emotions like this weekend, watching Creighton play at the level they did, um, seeing the crowd packed, uh, seeing the way they executed in high-pressure situations and knowing that they're still alive and they've made it out of their home regional for the first time? 
Yeah, it was cool. I woke up Saturday morning and had gotten like a memory of that seven years ago we beat Kansas and saw yeah. the picture of my family and everything. And so that was just a cool way to be like, they can do it. And um, it was cool to be there. And, you know, I went to the game with Madeline Cole and then um, Jayla Zimmerman yeah. as well. And those are two players that never got to a Sweet 16. And so it was just interesting to hear kind of their thoughts on it and of course like jealous that they can't do it but super excited that Creighton is back in that position so I think it just makes you appreciate it especially like I appreciated it in that moment but then to go that long without like being in a sweet 16 and kind of getting mm-hmm. to that point of we can't get out of our own you know home gym multiple times um, it just was a cool feeling. And I think, like you said, a little bit of relief, probably mostly for the coaching staff, but mm-hmm. also for those players of we saw Creighton do this, right? They came to Creighton to do those sorts of things. And when you go somewhere, you hope that you leave a place a little bit farther ahead of where they were when you got there. And I think like my class felt like we did a good job of that. And so I think recruits come in and they want to, you know, make their mark too and take it a step further. And so for them to kind of get to that point of Crane expects to be hosting, expects to make a sweet 16. And when you, you know, have that tangibly in your mind as your goal and you fail multiple times, it just makes it that much sweeter when you finally get that moment. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the cool. It's, you know, Creighton doesn't have a whole lot of players that have a, an attachment to what that, um, what that those elite eight sixteen runs were like back in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen. But there, there are it is connected in a way because you know when you came in, and Jaylee came in and Taryn came in. I remember even talking to you as a freshman before you even played your first match, and this is the year you redshirted. So, um, you know you were still. I don't think you were hurt at this point, but. You know, you said your goal when you came to Creighton was, you know, Sweet 16, Lead 8, Final Four, National Championship. That's something that no one at Creighton had even, like, seen in, in like, real time. Like, that was just a dream, a goal that hadn't been achieved yet. And so, yeah, you your class um, helped set that, like, kind of kick that door in and show the classes behind you that, you know, just give them some visualization that, hey, this can be achieved here. Um, it's not just, you know, something you say and try to go for. It's actually something that you can achieve. And I think there is some attachment to even you with other classes, right? Because, you know, I think you played with Kiana Schmidt. Maybe she was a freshman in 2019. I'm sure, like, players like Ellie Bolton and Kiara Reinhardt, who have been in the program a long time, have, like, you know, watched you play at Creighton while they were being recruited. Right. So there's, there's a connection with that group that hung those banners in that arena. And I'm sure those players kind of wanted to come in and like you said, pick up the baton where you guys handed it to them and take it a step further. Right. And the Jayla Zimmerman certainly was one that was very open about wanting to, you know, kick down the next door. Right. Um, So I think that was, that it was cool to see like, you know, as far away as it's been for seven years and as much as the coaching staff probably felt it, this team also felt it. The players were pretty open about kind of, you know, I don't know what the right, the, what the most accurate way to put it was, but I know that they were still hurting from last year and they hadn't forgotten it. And I think that they carried that into the weekend in some way. I don't know if it felt 
like pressure. I think when we watched the Colgate match, it certainly felt like they weren't themselves. And it made me wonder about who was going to show up on Saturday and how they were going to play against Minnesota. And it, and the team that we saw against Minnesota, I think, was a lot looser, a lot sharper, a lot more focused. So I think they got those jitters out of the way. And once they got to Saturday, they kind of saw, like, this is the match that we wanted back for all these times that we've fallen short. This is the this is the this is the end point that Creighton hasn't been able to cross since 2016, right? So for whatever reason, Creighton played at a much higher level on Saturday than they did on Friday. And I think it was just because, you know, they were at that point that they've tried to get back to ever since they were, you know, ever since they watched Jayla go down in 2021, ever since they fell to Auburn in five in 2022, you know, it just felt like that was a driving force. They want like all the things they accomplished at the season were nice. They set those goals, but the one they really, really wanted to get back to was that second round match, whoever was in front of them in their own gym and kind of right that wrong. Don't you think that's kind of what, you know, when you look at the performances on Friday and Saturday, it felt like Saturday was playing with something a little bit more than, than Friday. For sure. And I think, I mean, to their credit, I think it's hard to settle in, you know, that first like atmosphere of NCAA tournament time and kind of understanding, okay, if we, if we lose, like our season's over. And of course you don't want to think that way, but you're aware of what's going on. And um, even around the country upsets that happen of teams you thought would be further in the tournament. So it's just kind of playing with that mindset of being aggressive, being energetic, playing with joy. I think Creighton does that really well. And that's kind of one of their tenets of how they want to play Creighton volleyball. Right. But it's it's hard at first to kind of settle into that atmosphere. And I mean, we were both there. I think it sounded different on Friday and Saturday than it did all season. So just the energy in the gym too is a little bit different. And even from teams, I think the energy is different because it's a do or die type of situation and both teams are going to go for it and try to play their best volleyball in that match that, you know, they're playing at that moment. You know, I think the thing with the Colgate match, and that's why I'm curious to see what this weekend looks like coming up because the Colgate match was the one that Creighton was expected to win. And while they probably overmatched Colgate from, you know, a talent and a physicality standpoint. So, you know, it feels like there's a, there's probably some margin for error there for Creighton that they can, you know, they don't have to play their a plus game to beat Colgate, but that's a lot of pressure when you're expected to win a postseason match and a do or die match. Cause you, you bring this Colgate team in who has nothing to lose and a Creighton team who has, not only the pressure of trying to get out of their own regional now, but also even to get to the point where they can advance to the Sweet 16, they have to get through a team that they're expected to beat. And I think that's a that's a that's a tough psychological little battle you have to get over um, in order to settle in and be sharp and be focused. On top of the fact that they had a lot of players, and it, I didn't ever want to say this like during the week because it just felt like it was all coming back again. Uh, but they had a lot of players sick and out of practice all week. So they did have some of that uncontrollable adversity that they had to overcome again. Um, Sidney Breisinger was someone who, you know, had to have, uh, you know, IV treatment to get rehydrated this week. She was really sick. And I think, you know, she wasn't as sharp as she's been in that Colgate match specifically. Um, So to see her kind of bounce back against Minnesota and dig deep and play a lot better against a much more physical, uh, talented team was really impressive, especially for a freshman. But I think, you know, that Colgate match had a lot of pressure on it because Creighton was expected to win. 
The Minnesota one, I know the players saw that a lot of people were picking Minnesota to make it out of Omaha and weren't really giving the Jays kind of the benefit of what they had earned through their season, especially the run they've been on, right, where they've just been sweeping everybody in sight. Um, so I think Creighton played with more of like a, a hunter's mentality on Saturday, like go after this team, don't let them settle in, you know, don't let them get comfortable in your own gym, like set the tone, uh, be on the front foot, make them have to adjust, make them have to, you know, second guess things. Um, and it kind of started right away with Kirsten Bernthal Booth and the coaching staff throwing a little wrinkle in there with the with the lineup, throwing Eva, Ava Teastrake and Emma Ziegler in the lineup instead of Ava Martin or assists. I saw you know, the reactions roster wide from Minnesota's players, the confusion, the from the coaching staff. That was a that was a funny little savvy move so by funny. I was by, dying laughing in the sands. Yeah, but I feel like that was a tone setter, right? It was just like, you know, we're gonna dictate today. So we're gonna throw this little wrinkle yeah. at you, watch you get all confused, then we're gonna throw our studs back into the back into the match, line up the way we wanna line up and and I don't know. I just felt like Creighton was in total control on Saturday as opposed to Friday, and I think it was because they were playing for something and they they had a like a goal in mind. And on top of the fact, a lot of people were picking Minnesota to beat them, and I think that like that motivated them a little bit. Yeah, it's one of those things. Of obviously, I think Minnesota's continued to get better this season, and so it's it's kind of a dark horse in that way. Of should Minnesota have even made the tournament? I mean, those were the discussions happening. Right. Right around the country of okay should they even be in this tournament um and then for Creighton I mean they played them once this year and so that's always kind of like okay we played this team and we beat them and now here we are you know postseason time and we have to play them again and both teams are completely different so that part of it is just interesting scouting wise and kind of preparing and just mentally thinking about um, you know, certain matchups. And that's why, I mean, Kirsten said, they said Lydia Grove, they wanted a big block. They wanted Nora on her. And that's why they did that little weird sub. And um, it worked out. And I think psychologically, like you said, it worked out too, as far as confusing coaching staffs and the players of like, what's going on here. And mentally, I Creighton had control when they started and they backed it up with their play, which was fun to see. Yeah, and just on that, I I don't know if you've ever seen in your career where a team has had to, I, I guess, thrown that little wrinkle out there. I don't know how much, like maybe sometimes if you're not totally prepared for it, then you can sub in and just make that switch, and that's where the confusion happens. But I think Minnesota was really prepared, obviously, to see Nora Sis and Ava Martin on the floor first, and when they didn't, you know, they're trying to wonder, like, who is Ava Teastrake? You know, why is why are they putting you know, the backup setter, DS, who's hardly played all year in the starting lineup, are Nora and Ava Hurt sick? What's going on? Like, I just think it, it – I know Creighton had a specific strategy in mind. It wasn't just to add, like – it wasn't just to be funny. It wasn't just to confuse Minnesota. It was for a reason. Have you ever seen the team do that? And you know, I, don't I mean, how much of an effect do you think it had? Yeah, I don't think I've seen that happen. And to be honest, at first, I was sitting there, and I'm like, what in the world is happening? You know, yeah. and then I'm like trying to figure it out. I'm like, okay, it makes more sense. And then we, Madeline, Cole, and I asked Angie afterwards too, just to make sure we're like, you just did that for a matchup. Like, what is like, what is happening? That was so random. But no, it was cool to see, and obviously it played to what Creighton wanted to do. That matchup that they wanted, and 
like they said, I mean, she went off on them when they played them last time. So yeah. why not kind of throw a different look in front of her and challenge her? And it, it paid off as she hit negative in the match. So I think that's that, right. Yeah. Like, you know, tangibly, you, know, like, you saw that really have an effect. So that was cool. Yeah. Just to, you know, just to tie it together, like Lydia Grode had 20 kills and two errors against Creighton on like less than 40 swings, like absolutely tore them apart. And, you know, Norris is a pretty good blocker for a pin. You know, she's she's got size. Uh, you know, she got long arms, and you know, she's more athletic than people, I guess, would give her credit for because she's kind of a soft-spoken, joyful kid and just kind of happy-go-lucky out there. Um, but you know, she's got a, like a, a focused, you know, way about her that you know when you set a game plan around her, especially one defensively, she can rise to that challenge. And I think. You know, Kirsten mentioned that, you know, it, it kind of ties into Nora's skill set as a blocker in terms of her being able to close off that seam. Um, and they felt that Groat was really good and liked that shot and hurt Creighton a lot with it. I mean, just to see the disparity in what Groat hit in the first matchup versus two kills, three errors, 18 attempts only in this one, like that's that's pretty jarring of a difference there. How much do you think just the tactical factor of it, of Nora being able to, you know, close off the seam and seal it up and just make Grode have to hit different angles than she's normally comfortable with. How much do you think that through, you know, Creighton or sorry, Minnesota's main kind of key pin weapon off, off sync, out of sync? Yeah, I think it's huge just to even mentally have to think about, I have a little bit of a bigger block in front of me, you know, and what space now is taken and Nora also dives really well. I mean, that's, you know, what they were talking about. She can take that seam and at the last second she can, kind of like peak and then move her block around. So, I mean, that's a threat, obviously. And then you start spraying balls if you're thinking about, you know, trying to avoid the block and those sorts of things. So, I mean, to to her credit, I thought she put up a good block. And even if she didn't get stuff blocked, she, you know, she just had that ball positioned to the defenders behind her and they were able to dig well. So, yeah, for me, definitely even just watching grow against Colgate, it's like, okay, this girl could definitely go off. You know, just watching her athleticism and – having that pin to pin availability for Minnesota. I mean, they had one, you know, outside that was especially good. I thought and athletic, really dynamic. And then their right side. So if you have both those options up, it's really hard. I mean, we've talked about going pin to pins really hard for a middle blocker to try to close and get four hands in front. So it was just a smart, smart tactic. And I was impressed just, you know, based upon kind of the chaos that it caused Minnesota, it was kind of fun to see them be a little bit stressed to start off those sets. How did you feel about the blocking performance overall against Minnesota? Because I thought, you know, I thought Kiara, Kiana, Kendra did a really good job of just getting touches. You know, like you said, the ace blocks weren't always like Minnesota did a really good job covering um, and keeping points alive. But I thought, you know, there was there were moments where, you know, Creighton was getting multiple touches at the net and, you know, making Minnesota have to scramble to get a ball up again in transition. And, um you know, I felt like that was a really big factor in the match because I think even on paper, you know, we're just going in, you know, in the most optimistic sense of things, you'd probably think Minnesota has an edge in blocking. But I thought Creighton kind of rose to that challenge a little bit of being physical, being being making good reads and, and being where they needed to be to make Minnesota, you know, go after high hands, spray balls wide, spray balls long, um, you know, just making it tough for Minnesota to put the ball down. They hit 202. And their best set was the third set. If they made some adjustments, they hit. Well, they only hit two forty four in that one still. So, you know, what what kind of a performance do you think Creighton had in kind of 
you know, rising to the occasion in terms of being physical and, and, you know, making themselves a presence at the net defensively. Yeah, they did a nice job. And I think, I mean, no blocking errors. I think that's really impressive. Yeah. They got over, they took space, they funneled that ball to defenders. Like you said, they got touches too off the block and then that just slows everything down. You can kind of run your offense and have more options up front. Um, so yeah, I just thought they did an impressive job. I think Minnesota had a, maybe some more like flashy blocks, right? But yeah, yeah, I mean, it all sure. counts the same if you score a point. So, I mean, from that standpoint, um, Minnesota's a physical team. I thought Creighton kind of matched that physical physicality well. Um, but I mean, overall, just a really good performance, just taking space, I think, and not getting used. That's the big thing. I mean, they have yep. big hitters and they could easily wipe balls off of you and use your block, but they just did a good job of not trying to like reach too much outside of them and try to be a hero, just taking up the space they're supposed to take so that their defenders behind can dig those balls. I thought Creighton did a good job of kind of being savvy with shots too. They were they honestly they did that to Minnesota the first time. You know, they we I think we talked about their shot diversity. At that time it was kind of Ava Martin and Destiny Adam Simpson. Um, but you know, I I mean Ava Martin had a big block in front of her and it was a ball that was really tight to the net and she kind of just like, you know, swiped it off the outside hand for a for a kill, like only got the pinky, but it was a good savvy move. And then the next time she got the very next ball and she just pounded it down the line you know what i mean same pin same blockers you know a better ball but just you know again that's that that's that you know you talk about having a diverse shot portfolio portfolio right and that was kind of on display there in two back-to-back points just kind of just showing that creighton was really well prepared to mix things up and adjust on the fly and kind of read the defense in front of them and make swings but i thought you know all of their outsides ava nora um, you know, Ellie Bicklemeyer came up big, big late. Uh, but just you know, used the block really well, read it really well, and you know, used hands when they could use hands, tipped when they could tip, roll shot it when they can roll shot. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, how you how you kind of assess Creighton's offensive performance, especially on the pins, because they got a lot of work that you know on Saturday night of you know how they dealt with Minnesota's block and you know how they managed to still be effective offensively against a you know, a big physical team that's kind of always in your face with with at least two hands and most times four. For sure. I think Ellie Bicklemeyer is a really good example of somebody that hits shots really well. I know you mentioned Ava Martin, but for me, Bicklemeyer was huge going line, going high hands, going, you know, sharp cross when she needed to, going high hands, that last ball mm-hmm. that she hit. She obviously, you know, almost missed hands, but she just got a finger or two. So for for I think just the whole team to see their pins playing that way. I think you know that you have a big physical team blocking you across the net. And so your game plan's maybe gonna look a little bit different if you're, you know, playing somebody else. So just taking advantage of what the team will give you was huge. And um Ava Martin has a really fast arm swing. So if that ball is a little bit low inside, I think she gets her feet there really well and snaps on that ball maybe before the block can close. So she's able to put some hard driven balls down as well. But I mean, the game against big teams is just played more on the perimeter, right? And you're just trying to use edges of blocks and going deep in seams of where defenders have to cross. You're maybe not going to get those really cool kills in the middle of the court just because of where that block is set up. So it's just a little bit of a different, different look. And they did that well. They adjusted well and took what the block and defenders gave them. Yeah. And you know, 
I don't know. I can't remember if I said it on the last pod. I think I was holding it in because it was something funny to me that I noted on Sunday, on Selection Sunday at the watch party. Um, and I kind of wondered if it would play out a little bit in a weird way because, like, obviously they had to play each other for it to play out. But on Sunday um, at the watch party, the team watch party, Minnesota's name was the last team to kind of pop up on the on the board for the Creighton Regional, you know. And the only reaction in the entire, you know, area, because you know what that's like, it's like players and the coaches' families and then like kind of like a bunch of staff and boosters and whatnot, right? The only reaction to Minnesota's name popping up on the board was like Nora Sis just screaming yes and like with a double fist pump, like a weird reaction, but you kind of understand, I think, what Nora's coming, where kind of was coming from because she missed that match. That was when she was out with the the abdominal strain, right? That was part of the five week, you know, absence. So I bet, you know, she was chomping at the bit a little bit to play them. And, you know, she said in the post match that, you know, just having like familiarity, uh, you know, Midwest connections against a team you've played before. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those matches you like playing against because, or a team you like playing against because of all those factors. But I think there was also the factor of like, she didn't get to play against the team the first time. And she wanted to, you know, get that back because Minnesota is an elite team. And, you know, it's kind of those are kind of the matches you live for as a player. Right. And I mean, she was dynamic on Saturday, 16 kills, nine digs. Um, and she was she was big time down the stretch of of set three when Creighton was trying to keep, you know, um, erase that deficit, you know, save set points over and over again. I think they saved three or four set points late. Um, but she had. I think four or five kills down the stretch of, you know, Creighton's last nine points. Um, you know, she was putting the ball away and trying to put that match away and really, really stepped up big time. And I think part of it was the fact that she missed that match the first time when they played up in Minneapolis, you know? Yeah, obviously, I think, I mean, just to play Minnesota, it's a Big Ten team that historically is really good. And I think growing up in Nebraska, you're familiar with those sorts of teams that come in and play especially against Nebraska down the road, those are highly televised. So you just see, you know, those teams come in and great teams um, just want to play other great teams. I think that's what's fun. And um, players want to rise to the occasion. And she's somebody that does that really well. And that's why she's in the position that she's in being a steady six rotation outside hitter for Creighton. Yeah. And Alba, I mean, I don't know if she's going to be a first team All-American, but dang, she played like one on Saturday. Kendra Waite. you know, five kills, forty-four assists, seventeen digs. Like she, she had more digs than Minnesota's libero, Kylie Murr, who's really, really good. You know, it's like a fiery, um, cone-setting libero, and you know, Kendra was just flying around defensively. You know, she distributed di- distributed the ball really well, called her own number, which I know you love to see out of a setter. Um, so I, yeah, like that set three was remarkable because you know Creighton's down eighteen fourteen. You know, it, it it looks like Minnesota's comfortable. It looks like they've made some adjustments. It looks like, you know, they have some, you know, matchups that they like better than the first two sets. They've come out of the locker room and starting to execute that a little bit better. They're they're dictating a little bit more and making Creighton kind of a little bit uncomfortable on first contacts. And it's 18-14, and all of a sudden, you know, Kendra calls her number twice in a row, gets the dumps, puts the ball down, and you can see, like, frustration then on Minnesota's faces, like, for the first time, in that set because 
you know, they come out of the locker room and you're down 2-0 and you don't even you have no question in your mind about what set three has to go like, right? You cannot grind your way through that. You have to set the tone. You have to change the momentum. You have to basically send a shot to Creighton to say, hey, like, you're you're going five with us. You're going to have to put us away. We're not laying down for you, you know? And it looked like that's what that set was going. Um, until Kendra had those two dumps, you know, you can see Keegan Cook, Minnesota's head coach, was, cook, uh, head coach, excuse me, was extremely frustrated, called a timeout, violated into his team because – uh, you know, you know, in the game plan that Kendra Wade is a really aggressive setter and that she's going to go take those shots if she has an opening. Right. And they come out of the timeout and she does it again right away, like right out. <laughs> like it, that had to be such a demoralizing moment for Minnesota because. You know, she's going to do it and you couldn't stop it. You had to call a timeout to address it and kind of re like recenter your focus on how aggressive she's being and, and closing you know, her off offensively. And then she, and right out of the timeout, she gets another one. Like what kind of a moment do you think that was um, not only for, you know, Creighton, but for Minnesota's like confidence that they could stay alive in this match when they, you know, couldn't make an adjustment that they were intentionally trying to make in that moment. I think it was super frustrating. And the thing that surprises me about Minnesota's defense against the setter dump is that their setter, Melanie Schaffmaster, is amazing at setter dumps too, just watching yeah. her in this in this match. So I would have thought maybe they'd have a little bit of uh, I don't know, idea of how to defend that. But um obviously for Kendra Wade, it was a huge momentum swinger there and a confidence builder too for her. I mean, she'd been a little quiet, obviously. I mean, she only had two kills prior to that. So then to rack up three in a row was just awesome. And at the same time, then you make Minnesota's blockers worried again about her. And so that part of your offense gets opened up so that your pins and your middles, you know, hopefully have an open net in front of them or at least one blocker. So from that standpoint, it was just a fun kind of turn of events in that third set. And like you said, Minnesota wasn't too stressed up until that point. And then I think you just sort of saw the stress build on mm-hmm. their Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think it, I think it, like you said, it opened up Creighton offensively because I think after, after Kendra kind of got going and Minnesota really, really had to worry about her aggression because of the, the spurt she had there with, like I said, her getting three kills and four rallies is crazy. I, I can't, I can't remember if I've ever seen that. You know what I mean? Like a setter just doesn't – A, some setters don't call their numbers that often in a match. Um, but then when they do, they usually don't do it that frequently in that short of a span. And they usually don't terminate that frequently in that short of a span because the defense usually kind of adjusts to it, right? But Kendra found ways to put the ball down. And I think the only thing – the only other thing was a Keanu Schmidt kill, but um, that helped tie it up at 18. But the Keanu Schmidt kill comes off of – you know, the slide opening up because middles are staying attached to Kendra, right? So it's harder to get four hands in front of Kiana. So that ripple effect with Kendra in the third set where she, I mean, she was a monster. Three kills, 16 digs, or 16 assists, 10 digs in this third set alone. That's craziness for one set. And Creighton had 23 kills out of their 29 points were 23 kills. I mean, I think that's all tied to, you know, a little bit of like when Kendra got loose, then all of a sudden terminating became a lot easier because Minnesota was so worried about, you know, her stealing points for Creighton um, that they weren't able to, they weren't able to focus as much on pins on slide on middle attacks on back row attacks as much as they wanted to, because now they had to focus their attention on a setter who had gotten loose for three kills on them. Like 
it, you know, it just it just felt like the match, even though Creighton was up 2-0, I felt like that was where the match really, really changed um, because it could have been something that Minnesota had kind of, had they finished that set out the way it was going, they could have, you know, done the same thing in four, maybe even in more dominant fashion and forced a fifth game. So I think, you know, that was big by Kendra and what it unlocked seemed to be significant, you know? Yeah, I think set three is always a toss-up. I mean, we've talked about it too. You go back into the locker room and kind of regroup, especially if you're down 0-2 and you come out and you're fighting for your season. So yeah. you see some of that on Minnesota to start that set and um, kind of you carried them through, right? I mean, you're inching towards 20, and I think you felt like Minnesota sort of had the momentum, and then it just kind of stopped because Creighton made big plays, and they stayed really aggressive. Like you said, 23 kills in a set just means you're going for it. So yep. that part of it was really fun to see them stay really aggressive and fight back and not allow it to go into extra sets. Yeah, and how about Elliot Bickelmeyer down the stretch too? Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. If you're telling me, like, who are going to get the last two kills to send Creighton to a Sweet 16 – I don't know if Ellie, I think Ellie would probably be like fourth, maybe, you know, like I would say, I would assume Nora, Ava, I would assume Kiana. I might even say Kendra before Ellie, but I mean, she did a great job. One, the first shot I think was um, straight down the line. And I think the second one for match point was, um, you know, high hands, right. Where she just got the fingertips. Um, so two different shots, uh, two different moments, two different balls, like, but you know, she was able to put the ball down and for her, you know, it's just kind of a, it hasn't been a storybook season for her, but I think that's a really cool storybook moment, you know, transferring in from rice. She was a really good player at rice. You know what I mean? So to get off to the slow start, like she did early in this season for Creighton, I think was probably really frustrating for her. And obviously the fact that she was going through an injury to her shoulder probably made it even more frustrating because not only is, she dealing with kind of the mental hurdle of struggling in a new team and trying to find a, you know, a role where she can make an impact, but now there's a physical component to it. That's not making her feel right. So I think it's really cool. Her kind of, even her little trajectory here at Creighton with her only her one year where, you know, she just stuck with it, got healthy, stayed positive, kept working um, and ended up making an impact. And then here she is coming up clutch with a, you know, saving set point and then putting the thing away to send Creighton to the Sweet 16. Like, just a really cool moment, I thought. Yeah, it was cool to see. And just, I mean, I really only watched her this season, right? I didn't get to watch her at yeah, Rice yeah. much. But just to see her progression, like you said, I mean, having to get pulled during games and have somebody else play over her and, you know, just being in and out of that lineup and then kind of solidifying that spot, you know, more recently and then to kind of go off and have your best match. I thought, I mean, it just was cool. It was cool to see she rose to the occasion and that's what great players do. They want to play when the lights are on, they want to play their best. And she put up a really great performance and gave Creighton the balance they needed. I think that's the point of season you're at now of, you can't just have one or two people. You've got to kind of have a third or fourth weapon at least to carry you through, get kills, make plays in big moments. Yeah, for sure. And uh, honestly, Kiana was really good blocking. Kiara was good blocking, serving. Um, but offensively, you know, Minnesota held those two in check. You know, both, you know, Creighton's MB1 and MB2 under 200. Um, you know, you have to get offense from somewhere else other than Nora and Ava, right, if that's, if that's what's going on. So I think – you know, Kendra's aggression in set three and Ellie Bicklemeyer coming up with clutch kills um, and finishing with 12 and hitting over 250, 
you know, that's, that was big for Creighton because if you're, you know, if you're, if Minnesota is shutting down, you know, your middle and slide attack, um, you know, it, it kind of puts a lot more pressure on, you know, the right side, the back row, the left pin, Kendra, you know, to fill the void and be efficient, you know, and I think Ellie Bickelmeyer is a big part of the reason that Creighton advanced because of the way she stepped up and kind of, you know, gave Creighton an option on the right side of the net that was terminal, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that's the main thing. She was terminal, you know, she's swinging for kills and she's not just hitting a ball over to hit it over, but she's going for the kill. And that's what the whole team did when they had opportunities, you know, for the most part, they're, they're swinging away. They're going for kills. They're trying to be smart, but they're going to be really aggressive. And it was fun to see them continue that because I think they've done a really good job of that, you know, in throughout conference season and conference tournament and now to get to this point and still carry that over even in big moments is is cool to see how about uh Sydney Breisinger true freshman Barrow? you know I thought I'm not I'm being I'm being completely honest I thought she struggled so much against Colgate that I was where I was wondering if she was going to get pulled like and then so to see her come out against Minnesota and just you know nail first contacts and pass really well and like you know help Creighton set up you know, get the kind of first balls that they want, first ball attacks that they want. Like I thought just incredible resolve for a freshman libero to bounce back. Um, obviously she was sick all week. So she, you know, she had to dig deep in that Colgate match. And, you know, and she even said after the match, like she knew she wasn't going to play her best that night and she just had to find a way to, to survive it. Right. Right. And then against Minnesota, you know, her mindset was, and I don't know how many liberos like think like this, but I imagine a lot of them do because they're targeted sometimes, especially when they're starting to go sideways. But she like went into the Minnesota match knowing Minnesota was going to go after her because of how she played against Colgate. And I think that's just really great, you know, awareness and just um, by a freshman that's saying like, okay, to have like, to be honest enough with yourself to say like, that was, I was not good against Colgate. And I'm going to play again tomorrow night against a much more physical, much more diverse, much more, you know, athletic team. They're going to come after me because, you know, everyone saw on film what happened against Colgate. And they're probably thinking, like, that's free money right there. So I have to be really sharp. And I just was really impressed by the way she bounced back. You know, I know that she's done it before, but for a freshman in the NCAA tournament, second round against a team like Minnesota, who's really physical. Um, like super impressed by the way she bounced back and by the way she played on Saturday. That was an impressive thing to see. And like you said, I thought she'd probably get pulled too against Colgate. They pulled her out of serve receive a couple of times, which you don't yeah. see. They hid the libero ever. in serve receive. Yeah. 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 Hardly ever. So I think that was, uh, obviously mentally, like, you know, you're struggling and, um, wipe it, wipe it away. Right. That was one match. We won the match and we're, she's happy we won and that sort of thing and move on to the next day and be better. And she definitely was, she went from four reception errors against Colgate to just one and passed really well. Otherwise got Kendra on the net. Um, so it, it just was cool to see mentally, obviously that can be a bit of a struggle. So, um, just for her to then turn in a really good all around game the next day was impressive to see. Yeah, I'm super impressed by her maturity and her way, like, you know, just the honesty she had about like needing knowing she needed to bounce back. You know, some players would be like, Yeah, you know, it was just one match. I just wanted to wipe it away. Like, I think she went into Saturday knowing that she's like, you know, I, I think she went into Saturday thinking about Friday a lot. Like, that was bad. I need to be better. Minnesota's coming after me. I need to be ready. 
And I was just, you know, I think it's impressive that she just kind of like put all those boxes basically on a, you know, in her mind and said, like, I need to check all these off. Otherwise, it's going to be a bad night for us and we're not moving on. So I don't know. I'm really impressed. She was really good in the first Minnesota match, too. Although she did get ace five times, like she was big down the stretch um, from behind the line serving. And defensively, she came up with some crazy digs that allowed Creighton to get kills in transition with Ava Martin. Um, so I think, you know, tonight, I don't know if she derived some confidence from that, but she knew um, that Minnesota was coming after her and she came in ready. And I was just super impressed by the way she bounced back. Um, I forgot where I wanted to go from here. I didn't take very good notes tonight. Uh, let's just, I guess let's just move on to Louisville, right? Because um, that's what's next, you know? Uh, interesting matchup because Louisville's coming off, you know, a season where they were the national runner-up, and, you know, they have a lot of veterans back from that team that I'm sure, you know, want to get back to that point and, you know, finish the job, I guess, right? So it's going to be a challenge from that aspect of things for Creighton because you're probably facing a hungry Louisville team, not one that's kind of like expecting to just roll through a tournament and get to a certain spot. Like they're hungry because of how close they got last year. Right. So let's just start there. Like what kind of a challenge does that present when, you know, you're trying to find an edge and, you know, you're trying to play with kind of house money and, you know, shock the world a little bit, but you're playing a team that also, probably has a little bit of that unfinished business mentality as well because of how close they got to a national championship last year. It's hard. And I think we talked about like taking anything you can to motivate you. And for Louisville, that's, you know, they, they got finished second and that's a huge motivator, obviously to get to that point. And sometimes I think the closer you get to like your goal, right. It's, it's almost harder for you to like accept that. And so for Creighton, that's obviously they want to make an elite eight, right? They want to make a final four, but Louisville's been there before and they can kind of understand what that feels like and the joy that it brings you to make it to that point. So for them, they're going to be super motivated. And um, like you said, Creighton then is has nothing to lose. And so that part of it too can be kind of hard to play a team that has that mindset. So there's just mentally a couple of different things happening. And then for Louisville, too, they've played at Pitt multiple times. I mean, they're in the same conference. They've got a really good rivalry going with Pitt now in recent years. So that part of it, too, just the familiarity um, for Louisville might give them a slight advantage as far as the arena goes and um, that sort of thing. So it, it'll be interesting to kind of see how the match starts and also to play on more of a neutral floor with not as many fans that can be a little bit of a transition after having great home crowds last weekend and tons of energy in the building and trying to figure out how to create energy within your team yeah and honestly like minnesota is going to be really hard to deal with physically too right you know i mean anna Beer is a six foot outside acc player of the year um, she's averaging just under three and a half kills per set hitting 250 you know, PK Kong is six foot four, middle blocker, hitting over 300, averaging over a block per set. You know, Kara Crease is six foot six, averaging over a block per set, hitting almost 450 on the season, you know, at just under two and a half kills per set. Like, um, like they're a tough team to deal with. Like, Elena Scott was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, you know, a veteran libero. I think she's a third year starter, uh, for them. Um, like they're they're gonna be a tough team to deal with physically, don't you think? Like they're gonna be a tough team to score on because of their block, because of their defense, and um also a tough team to deal with because of what they can do offensively, not only with uh De Beer on the pin, but with the with their size in the middle, you know. 
Yeah, they're super strong all the way around. And we talked about they've got a ton of height in the middle position. Their outsides are studs, super dynamic, um, you know, really high scores for them. I think both of them are almost three and a half or more kills per set or points per set. Um, so, yeah, it's just a well-rounded team. And um, their right side production has been great, too. And then Elena Scott's a stud. She's super fun to watch, flies around on defense, just allows them to extend plays like crazy. So, from that standpoint, I mean, you, you're just faced with a ton of offensive options coming at you and a big physical team. So at, at this point in the tournament, though, I think any team you kind of draw is is going to be that sort of makeup of having really great players all across every position. Yeah, that's kind of like the challenge, right? Like now you're facing teams that just like <clears throat> there's no question you're going to be dealing with teams that have physicality and have athleticism and have veterans like that's they're they're going to have all those components because you don't make it this far without that you know um and i think the, this weekend creighton's kind of leaning into like who they are you know i don't think uh i think if they get too maybe centered on who you're facing you just kind of forget your identity a little bit and forget why you're here and you you i don't know you like maybe accidentally adopt an underdog mentality when really it's just like you know we're a good volleyball team too. We're here for a reason. We're physical. We're athletic. We can make plays. Um, you know, we're not, we're, I mean, we swept, Creighton swept both of their matches this weekend. And I don't, I know they've been sweeping a lot of teams lately. So it's like becoming kind of old news for, for fans and whatnot, but it's really hard to sweep your way through a first, like first and second round of the NCAA tournament. I mean, they're the only team in this, in this quad that did it. Like Pitt did not do it. Louisville did not do it. Washington state did not do it. Creighton's the only one, who got through their regional unscathed, basically. You know what I mean? That's impressive in itself. And I think Creighton's trying to lean into um, it's kind of like it's about us kind of thing. You know what I mean? So how do you feel about that as the mentality going in? Um, where obviously they're going to be locked into scout. They're going to know Louisville's tendencies. They're going to try to you know, take things away and make them uncomfortable, but also – at the end of the day, it's kind of about doing what we do. Like, how do you feel about that as the mindset going forward, especially into a weekend where they're probably going to be an underdog in in this match in particular, but maybe possibly even the second one? Yeah, for sure. At this point, I think you get tested no matter what team you're going to play. And at the end of the day, you have to stick to what you know and you've been doing at a really high level. And for Creighton, I mean, they've been doing things really well. You know, they've been sweeping teams. They've been having crazy offensive production. They've been playing great defense, you know, just playing a really good all around game and the style that they want to play. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. that's having an active setter, right? That's distributing the ball evenly to your middles, your outsides, your right sides in the back row, um, just doing things that they do really well. And you don't try to reinvent yourself at this point. I think you just try to take a step forward and do the things you're doing well, even just a little bit better. So from that, that standpoint, I think that's just what you have to do. Um, And then Louisville is going to have their own identity, things that they like to do patterns. They like to run and how well can you sort of contain them and then play good defense and put really good offensive production back at them and challenge them. Yeah. Um, We kind of batted this idea around uh, a little bit off pod before we started recording, but I'm curious, like, how much of a factor you think Kendra Waite could be in this match because of the type of setter she is, you know, physical, active, aggressive offensively, really good defensively, good from behind the service line. Um, and then obviously the distribution has gotten so much better this year as the season has gone along with 
all the hitters she kind of has a great connection with now. Like, you know, when it comes down to trying to figure out how Creighton matches up physically, is Kendra Waite versus Ellie Glock like a potential one where they have, you know, an edge because of the way Kendra can kind of take over matches in different ways? I would say so. I think Kendra's a really great defensive player, and we've talked about, you know, just her ability in that standpoint, and that's not always the strength of every setter, and that's one thing I think you could maybe make an argument she could play libero at times, right? So there's not many in the country that you would feel comfortable of sticking your setter, you know, in that libero jersey, and I think in this this standpoint, you would. So from from that angle I think she might have an edge just defensively because Louisville's got really great offensive options that are explosive and she can stick right in there and get get good digs so that they have a good out of system option coming Mm -hmm. back over the net and then I mean blocking wise too she's a strong physical blocker um she dumps the ball really aggressively like we saw this weekend she's a great offensive option and then just looking at the numbers, Ellie Glock just isn't quite as aggressive offensively as Kendra. So that that might give them a little bit of an edge because otherwise all across the net, I think it matches up pretty well, to be honest, across both outsides and both middles and right side sort of production. I think you're pretty even in that sort of um, stance. So wherever you can get a little bit of an edge, I think it's good and try to exploit it, um, try to make Louisville worry about her and then open up other offensive options. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I don't know what this match is going to come down to. Maybe it comes down to, you know, the libero battle, like how many, you know, how many balls can Elena Scott get up and keep Louisville alive and how well they, can they terminate out of system and in transition? Cause that's part of like, their identity a little bit is that they're very terminal out of system as terminal out of system as they are in system. And, you know, for Creighton, does it come down to, you know, a veteran libero Elena Scott versus a, you know, a true freshman in, in Sydney Brysinger? Like, does that decide the match or does it, is it come down to, you know, Kendra Waite versus Ellie Glock? Like, um, but it just feels like, I don't know with the way these two teams, uh, how diverse they are offensively. Like maybe it just comes down to, you know, a battle of who can put the ball down, who can execute, you know, when that ball's in the air, like how good that connection is that day with setter to hitter, you know, all the way across the net into the back row. Um, you know, because Creighton, honestly, their offense is really good. You know, they're a really, really balanced team. They're, you know, we talked on the last episode about how they're one of three teams hitting 285 and holding the opponents under 150 coming into the tournament, along with Pitt and Wisconsin. And, you know, they were third, I think, in the country in kills per set going into the tournament as well. So it's not just efficiency, but it's volume as well. And, you know, this weekend they were, I think they were the second, second in the country in kills per set in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, just barely behind Purdue average over 17 a set, which is just astronomical. Like, so they're a terminal team. They're really balanced offensively. Um, if you're picking an area of the game, whether it's serving defense or, you know how terminal and how efficient each offense can be what do you think is probably your most important key what do you think decides this one in the end oh i probably say serve receive passing i think just looking stats wise compared to louisville they're not you know they have a few more errors louisville only has one error per set and 
Creighton's at 1.4. So, I mean, somewhat even there. I mean, they're pretty even across the board stat-wise, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think getting your team in system consistently and not having reception errors is going to be huge. And then, obviously, on the flip side, you have to talk about serving. I feel like if you talk about serve-receive, just putting sure. over yeah. aggressive serves, I, I think that's really what it comes down to because, like we've talked about on just about every pod we've done, Right. If you get teams out of system, they become predictable and then you can dig balls a lot more easily and get block touches and big blocks and those sorts of things. So, yeah, I just think serving and serve receive, though, I think in more recent time, Crane has struggled a little bit. Serve receive, just getting pulled off the net or even just making errors, um, shanking balls. So just being really dialed in being aggressive with your feet, pushing that ball all the way up to Kendra so that she can exploit you know, herself as an offensive option. Mm-hmm. I think both of those things can sort of give an edge to Creighton and maybe give Louisville a different look that they're not quite as used to looking at in practice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is it's going to be interesting because I think we've said multiple times throughout the season that we felt like the ACC is the best conference in the country, right? And, you know, Creighton's walking in, playing one of the top two teams in it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like, I think this is one of the best teams – that Creighton has faced this year, certainly. And, you know, I think it's not a stretch that I don't think, I think either of these teams could win a national championship. I think they're capable of playing at that level. So it's going to be really exciting to watch that thing first thing in the morning, you know, on Thursday, Uh, just because it's a really high level match. I think both teams are really talented. I think both teams are playing really well right now and playing for something as well. They're not just kind of like happy to be here at this point. Like we said, Louisville's got, some unfinished business in Creighton, you know, is kind of the team that no one really expected to be here at this point, which I think kind of feels a little disrespectful to them because they feel like they've been, you know, a top 15 program for a long time and that it shouldn't be a surprise that they make it to this far and, and have, you know, their sights set on advancing further. Um, So I think there's a little bit of an edge to both teams going into this weekend because they have something to prove in a few different ways, you know, um, so I'm excited for it. It's a really fun matchup. You know, it's one we haven't seen in a little bit. I don't think Creighton, when do we Creighton Louisville play? What do we say? 2015 was the first time? Yeah. 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 So uh, that went five sets. Obviously, both teams are a lot different now, um, just in terms of their makeup and, and the way they're playing. And Louisville's program has kind of like really ascended um, pretty quickly since then, too, uh, because just they invested more resources to that volleyball program. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be a fun matchup. I'm excited for it. 11 11 30 is that when it starts? I forgot. I or it's 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Yeah, so hopefully, people take them lunches, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There, there might be a watch party too. I think I heard that they're gonna set up a watch party, so there's gonna be something going on downtown somewhere. I think for it. You know what? I just realized I wanted to ask you was about Minnesota. I forgot. I think <laughs> we want to circle back a little bit, but uh. Yeah, because one of the funny things about that matchup this weekend was the history. Like, I don't, Creighton and Minnesota probably isn't like a rivalry, right? Because prior to this year, Minnesota won all the matchups, but um, they that was the fourth time they've met in the NCAA tournament this uh, as on Saturday. Like, and that's the most of that's the most te- of any team Creighton's played in the tournament, which is weird, right? Like, you know, how do you find yourself playing Minnesota? And it's not like they were matched up in the first round ever. It was always it was always second round matchup. So they always had to kind of win their way into that matchup. So 
that's the fourth time they've played. It's the most of anyone. But there's also history there because Minnesota won the first three matchups, and Keegan Cook was Washington's head coach who ended Jaylee and Taryn's career um, in Omaha. So there was, like, a lot of, I guess, uh, of that, like, revenge factor right there. But I wanted to ask you how it felt to watch Creighton beat Minnesota, too, because you were close to doing it yourself as a player in 2019, you know, you, it, when you guys were up in that fourth set um, and you had match point. Like, did, did, did Saturday feel really good for you uh, personally at all? I'm just curious because – you know, that was the team that ended your career. Do you did you take any like satisfaction from like some from seeing Creighton beat Minnesota and move on? I don't I guess a little bit. I just it's hard because the entire team and coaching staff is different. Yeah. Compared to when we played them. And I I don't know. I just think it's a very different look. So it's kind of hard to think about it that way. Um you but... just went into it thinking rooting for Creighton because they're Creighton. It wasn't really a yeah, in Minnesota because they got me kind of thing. Yeah, not really. I I mean, I think if it was like it was last year that I lost them and their entire personnel is the same or something, maybe that feels a little bit different. But I just, uh-huh. just I don't know. I think the players were different. I think I think the Minnesota we played was maybe a little bit better to be honest. Oh, for sure. That's no question. That Minnesota team made the final so, four. Didn't they? Yeah. So I just yeah. think but it's kind of hard to be like. I don't know. I just sure. said we played was completely different and played at a much more high level. So hundred percent. Yeah, you can take that. You can brag a little bit about that. You almost beat like a final four Minnesota team, not not yeah, they team. made the final four. So I don't yeah. know, but I don't know. It's cool, obviously, to see Creighton, just even like for namesake too of like Minnesota plays in the Big Ten. And I feel like a lot of mm. people know who Minnesota is, and Creighton is a smaller school that doesn't quite have as long of a history, right? As like Minnesota sure. looking about. So from that standpoint, yeah, it's fun to kind of beat a big name school that's, you know, supposed to just historically be really good and great at volleyball yeah. has been. So that part of it is kind of more fun maybe for me than thinking mm-hmm. about like the revenge factor, although it's it's nice too. I think I just pissed I think I just pissed off Meg to end the podcast by bringing her <laughs> up. We'll see. She'll like cuss me out off air. Um <laughs> Yeah, Creighton's three and one against the big big bad big ten this year, by the way, too. If you're keeping track at home, they swept Purdue. They're the only team to sweep Purdue this season at all. They did that in their own gym. Now they beat, you know, they beat Minnesota in five in their own in Minnesota's gym without Nora and then swept them in the rematch. So yeah, Creighton's might be a decent Big Ten team after all, right? Like sweeping Minnesota, sweeping Purdue, you know. They took a set from Nebraska and Lingen without Nora. Like, who knows, man? Um I think I've said all I need to say. What about you? Yeah, I think I've I've said everything too. I don't know. I'll take take a lunch break on Thursday and watch some volleyball, I guess. I don't know. That's I right. Know. Yeah. Well, uh it'll be interesting to see if there's like a watch party or where it is or whatnot. Cause uh I don't know. That might be lit to hit up, maybe. Just like feel like it's a home away from home environment or whatever. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. All right, everyone. Uh thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys, you know, following along all season and Listening to our volleyball takes. Um yeah. So we have at least at least one more pod, right? At least one more. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how many more after that. Uh, because Creighton's still alive in the NCAA tournament. Uh so we'll talk to you after this weekend, whether the Jays are going home or going to Tampa. But until then, we hope you all have a good week. We thank you for tuning in. For Megan Epperson, I'm Matt DeMarinas. See you all later.